Welcome to the first episode of the GQ Style Podcast. I'm Editor-in-Chief Will Welch. I'm here with Senior Editor Noah Johnson. What's up, Noah? Hey, what up, Will? Uh, the new issue of GQ Style is on newsstands now. Fall, the fall issue, our far-flung fall fashion issue. Aziz Ansari is on the cover. There's also stories. We went on tour with Diplo in Africa. We went and hung out with Tony and Riley Hawk in San Diego. Our own Noah Johnson went to Berlin to visit the Zero 32C gang. So check it out. You can order it on GQStyle.com or go to your local newsstand. GQStyle. Oh, there's also a bunch of chairs in the issue. Yeah, the best chairs ever. The best chairs ever. It's a real category. So, Noah, for starters, when we put this Aziz story online, uh, a lot of people gravitated to the stuff about him dropping off of social media. Yeah. Can you set the scene for, for me a little bit on that? The gist is that Aziz has removed um, all digital communication other than text messaging from his life. Right. So there's no social media platforms and there's no email. and um, No no Safari browser. No browser either. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Not just communication. That's right. Just like information. DNB, do not browse. No streams uh, in this guy's world, which uh, at times like these is pretty appealing. I mean, it's, it's like scary because... It, it's like we increasingly feel like we need all of the information right away as it's happening. And then we feel ourselves, I feel myself driven mad by it, regretting the access I have to it, wishing I didn't know, and, yeah, then, and like, then craving more. There's the content hangover, yeah. and then there's the need for more content. It is junkie-like. It's super it, junkie-like. In the way that it functions. And Aziz makes that point really eloquently in the story, and he says something like, it's just this addiction to, to something new. Right. You know, and when you constantly have the option to have something new, you just keep grabbing for it. Yeah, I ex- I heard somebody was saying that, um, talking about the way that that the 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 grabbing hold of something new, like sort of, it's almost like a release of serotonin in your brain. That's right. And that it's completely addictive, and that you just are like refresh, refresh, refresh. It's just like hitting the serotonin button like a lab monkey. Yeah. Um, but it was really interesting to watch people react when we put this story online because there was a visceral reaction on social media to what seems like a guy who's gotten to a very good mental place <laughs> by quitting social media. Yeah. You're like, he's never going to hear this. You can say what you want yeah. him on, on your Twitter feed. Aziz is not going to get, it's not going to get to it's, him. It's a free for all on Aziz's head right now. I don't know. A lot of other people also picked up on, there's some stuff in there about his personal life and he kind of comes across a little sad as he's looking for love it seems and you know he he has so much professional success i think in comparison his personal life is a bit uh lacking but i thought like yeah he seems a little sad i guess but also like at peace i mean he's got a lot of shit figured out in terms of like spending time traveling around the world learning to make pasta not obsessing over his twitter feed right making a brilliant second season of his um his show yeah, Master of None season two. I mean, you know, did you watch Master of None season two, Noah? Yeah, loved it. I did too. I thought it was um, just fascinating. And he says, Mark Anthony Green interviewed him for the for, for the fall issue. And what Aziz says is that they had, with the first season, incredible reaction to a couple really concept-driven episodes from season one. And so when he and Alan Yang sat down to plot out season two, they were like, what if we just do all that? So there's no yeah. just, there's no episode spent like kind of, um, you know, just moving the plot forward. It's all about like big ideas, yeah. one after the other. 
Um, and I just think that's smart and modern and in a noisy yeah. media landscape, TV, movies, music, yeah. magazines, blogging, whatever it is you do. You got to do something like that to punch through, but then you have to be really artful about it. Yeah. I mean, this we're in the era of prestige television, right? This is like the the primary art form uh of the day and like you got to rethink it, I think at this point yeah. to to break through and that's exactly what he did. I mean, it's almost like an entirely different show than the, the first season. It know? is. And it's such a it's such a long way too, I think such a huge leap forward from his stand-up. <laughs> Which was obviously immensely popular, yeah. his, his stand-up, but this is sort of like a whole new level of his easiness. Yeah. Speaking of um, breaking from, from usual form, um, instead of going to Coachella this summer, as you always do. Yeah. Um, I'm a went- huge Coachella guy. <laughs> I love, that's when I really break out, you know, the hippie stuff. And yeah, the beads. The and psychedelic the, drugs and the beads. Yeah, and, the headdress. Yeah, I go twirl. Um but you and Mobilaji Dawadu, our fashion director, and Diplo went to Africa. Yeah, we ran into uh, we re- Mobilaji and I ran into Diplo at a party, um, and he he knew about GQ style and that I was working on it, but he didn't realize Mobilaji and I know Diplo from like over ten years ago. He didn't realize that we were working together again, and so he thought that was cool. And then he was like, "Man, I'm going on tour in Africa in April, and you guys should come." And so we were like, cool, we'll be there. Uh, and so that's what we did. So we spent, uh, I think it was four or five nights total, um, three of them in Uganda. Uh, Diplo had a show in Kampala, Uganda, at basically like um, one of those kind of like convention hall spaces that seemed like it was probably mostly used for weddings. <laughs> and then, um, and so that was like a couple thousand people, no air conditioning, summertime in Kampala, just like sweaty and awesome. And then, the show in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, a couple nights later was like wildly different. I think it was something like 7,000 kids in a giant field with palm trees. And they awesomely had uh, the the flamethrower contraption that, that lifts a hot air balloon into the air. Yeah. They had one of those without the balloon <laughs> sitting in the middle of the field for like in-crowd pyro. <laughs> um, and that was actually the first. Coachella needs that. Yeah. They really need yeah. that. More giant flame torches. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Spewing just fire. Amidst the people. Yeah. Um, and that was just a wild, that was a wild night. So um, it was awesome. We shot some fashions. Yeah. Cruised around Uganda and Ethiopia. And um, that is in the fall issue as well. And you interviewed Diplo about a lot of different stuff. Super interesting guy. Super sharp. Um, also a totally independent thinker. Yeah. Um, it was the the Rihanna um, nugget that was just like one of my favorite anecdotes we've ever printed. Uh, <laughs> that got the most pickup, but what, what was the story with Rihanna and Diplo? Yeah, well, he was sort of saying, we were talking about Major Lazer, and he, is, he was saying he'd always wanted to get Rihanna on a song and had never been able to. And I was like, well, Rihanna and Major Lazer seem pretty aligned. And then he told this amazing story about being in the studio with Future and Metro Boomin and The Weeknd. And they were all kind of playing songs for Rihanna and and Future played like one billion songs for her <laughs> and Wes played zero, Diplo played zero songs for her. And so finally he was like, you got to let me play a song. And then he did. And that's when she said. <laughs> Sounds uh, like, what did you say? <laughs> airport reggae? Yeah, reggae music in the airport. <laughs> Which then, is like a whole category. Well, never mind the fact that that's like a, 
pretty exciting category of music, I think, that she just invented. I think it's a pretty le- <laughs> legit genre. Um, but the internet chose to read it. Well, first of all, they just pretended that that Diplo himself hadn't told the story in like a very funny, honest, real, and self-deprecating way. Yeah. Like he was, he was laughing at himself, and it just turned into like Rihanna drag Diplo. I mean, who? And and the other funny thing about that becoming like a a news item is like who wouldn't want to be dragged by Rihanna? Yeah, that's <laughs> like this is what we love from Rihanna the most. Yeah, that's that's her whole appeal. I mean, I would like sexy, forward-thinking, modern R and B, and um, just like boatloads of attitude. Yeah, I want to read stories about her shitting on people in the studio, just like again and. You want to get dragged again. by Rihanna yourself? I might. Yeah, if I ever have the opportunity to be in a studio and play it. Uh, I'm I'm aware that this this sounds a little soapboxy, but I'm going to say it anyway. One uh, one thing that kind of bothered me about that the watching that thing take on a life of its own on the internet is that all the there were a bunch of pretty what you would think of as pretty legitimate like magazines and news sources like you know Twitter and the blogosphere is like going to get its jokes off and that just is what it is right yeah. yeah. Um, but there were some pretty legitimate news sources that were just like going for the super lowest common denominator um uh spin on that story yeah and i just couldn't help but thinking like man you like like us here at gq style are in the like um celebrity business and people in the celebrity business uh spend a lot of time complaining about modern celebrities who are inauthentic uh you know like like super media trained uh not themselves in interviews and here's a guy being funny real self-deprecating telling a story that is like unflattering to him because he thinks it's funny um and because you know he's got a sense of perspective about his career and then (laughs) you're kind of like piling on him which to me just perpetuates a world in which celebrities are like i get killed if i try to be funny i get killed if i'm honest i get killed if i'm real so to me you got to kind of like I don't know, it's up to all of us who have a voice and outlet and websites and magazines and all that stuff to try to, like, uh, reflect the world that as we want to see it. Um, so, I don't know. I find that, I find, like, uh, lowest common denominator, common denominator clickbaiting, like, to be a bit of a bummer from people that I think of as peers. Yeah. Not to mention the fact that it just outshined the uh, interesting stuff about the Holotronics parties, which is really <laughs> the most in- interesting part of the story. So, Holotronics was a moment, man. Yeah. And it also definitely outshined like uh, w- the experience of being in Uganda and Ethiopia. Yeah. Because what I think what was interesting about that is um, Diplo was passing up on a lot of money to go right. just be at the Coachella circuit to really do something different and to take his music to new places and to also take music yeah from america and the stuff that he plays to, to 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 new people but you know that's the way the world works my hope is that like something like the rihanna um anecdote taking on a life of its own like trojan horses a few people into reading a, a story <laughs> uh, about modern music in africa that they otherwise might not have yeah my hope is also that rihanna and diplo will get back in a studio together and make a banging song for 2018 Rihanna, I know you're listening <laughs> <laughs> to the episode one of the GQ Style podcast. Friend of the pod. Yeah. Rihanna. Dear friend of the pod, I'm definitely going to text her. Yeah. Um, time to make a major laser jam. Let's go. Can we talk a little bit about Tony and Riley Hawk? Yes. Fuck yeah. Birdman and Birdman Jr. 
Wow. So this was a this was a Noah Johnson idea executed by the f- the great photographer Michael Schmeling and the writer Brett Anthony Johnson, right? Yep. Um, tell us about the state of of the Birdman. Well, um, so Tony Hawk has like aged gracefully, uh, as we all um, hopefully will, uh, as the not just like the most iconic professional skateboarder of all time, but also like the greatest ambassador for the sport. He donates a ton of money to building skate parks, mostly in underprivileged places and and third world countries and stuff. And his son Riley is uh, is an up and coming pro skater and sort of rock musician, badass dude himself. And it was just super cool to catch the two of them together at this intersection, this really interesting time where they're both killing it as skaters still, even Tony is for sure. And then. Um, developing and like becoming these you know men of of substance in all these other ways you know like riley's a super stylish dude and really committed to playing guitar and making music and tony is like this great sort of philanthropist now and what i didn't what i learned uh when i read the story for the first time is i didn't realize that there's a little bit of a uh not to overstate it but that skateboarding is at if not a crisis then a bit of a crossroads yeah and first, and it's it's an interesting one too because I think a lot of people in the business, as Tony is, struggle to because there are also some really large corporate interests involved, right? And that creates some funky conflicts with between you know energy drink uh, corporations and smaller skater owned brands. But you know one of the things that's come of that that's really cool is skaters rallying behind the skater owned brands and rallying mm-hmm. behind guys like Tony who who really live it and are in it for all the right reasons. Right. And But what's the source of the, 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 the crossroads? Is it because skating is not growing? Or is it more about the, the health of the business around it? I think it's probably the health of the business around it. And I think it's also tricky when skateboarding as like like as a marketing tool, I guess, as like a youth lifestyle um, um, tool for brands and corporations to use uh, when they feel like using it right. can just kind of come and go yeah. from popularity. And there's times when it feels like it's at the center of pop culture and there's times when it feels like it's faded and it's uncool. Meanwhile, skaters never stop skating. Right. But <laughs> skaters going to skate. Yeah. Man. But that, that has an impact on, on the business end of it, I think, you know, and that's what Tony, I think speaks to a little bit and, and having been in it for decades and seeing the ups and downs, like it sounds like he's a bit, a bit wary but meanwhile, I'd argue like his son is evidence that like the future is good. Right. Yeah. yeah and I thought as a, um, I'm proud of the juxtaposition, juxtaposition that comes out of it, which is like uh, intimate photos of, of Tony and Riley yeah. um, kind of skating together in, the, in Tony's backyard yeah. skate bowl and out on their street and stuff. But then this interesting conversation in the, in the Q&A that's really more about skateboarding itself yeah they kind of get in deep like off the bat but i recommend i think it would it's an interesting read for anyone they talk about watching each other fall and sort of like adjusting your mindset to be like prepared for that and knowing that it's like necessary and it's interesting to hear both of them talk about that i mean watching your dad eat shit (laughs) on a skateboard (laughs) when he's like in his 50s or whatever i think uh could be a lot you know i mean and likewise you know tony watching his son have two reconstructive surgeries on both of his ankles. Yeah, you can still, he, he still thinks of Riley as a kid in a lot of ways yeah. and is like kind of protective. Yeah, it's cool. It's uh, lots of tender moments, but also, you know, coming from two totally badass dudes. Yeah. I also loved, of course, when, you know, Tony is now like fans come up to him and are like, you're Riley's yeah. dad. Well, Tony's <laughs> like, 
I think his his one of his recent pro model skateboards doesn't say Tony Hawk on it. It says Riley's dad. Like that's the graphic. That's awesome. Proud Papa. While we're talking about fall fashion magazines, mm-hmm. what did you make of Vogue's John Curran painted cover of Jennifer Lawrence? I thought it was super good. Super Art, cool. Yo. John Curran. Art, yo. Friend of the friend of the brand, friend of the pod. Uh, he's been featured in GQ style. Let's just he John Curran has legitimately been featured in GQ style. Yeah. Photographed by Richard Prince, I will yeah. add. Yeah. But I'm into this idea. Let's just keep lying about who are, who are friends <laughs> of the pod. So far, the homies include Rihanna, yeah. John Curran, yeah. Aziz and Diplo, obviously. But Aziz and Diplo, a little more legit. Yep. So John Curran painted Jennifer Lawrence as one of four, you know, special edition covers for Vogue and um, for their an- big anniversary. John Curran paintings go for like twelve million bucks. So my big question was, who gets to keep the J Law? <laughs> Where's the painting? Like, does it go to John's gallery? Does Jennifer Lawrence have it? He just gifted does, it. Can Jennifer Lawrence get it? But it's going to cost like six million. I hope that they just hang it in the Condé Nast cafeteria <laughs> for <laughs> Here us in all the podcast to- studio <laughs> for us to all appreciate. Uh, we're going to get an intrepid reporter to find the John Curran, Jennifer Lawrence painting. Yeah. And we'll report back to you on future pods. Let's go. Yeah. Find it. Hit me on Twitter. DM me. It's Akagosian, Sam says. You know this? Th- see, that's a smart tie-in. People who are good at making money have already thought about this, <laughs> shockingly. <laughs> you know who's good at making money? Larry Gagosian. Yeah, yeah. And John Curran and Anna Wintour. And we're like, maybe we can find the painting. <laughs> Where's the painting? Where could it be? Shout out to uh, shout out to Sam Hine on the on the controls. Yeah, Google.samhine.com. Also, I feel like we should take this moment to shout out fashion director Mubalashi Dawadu. And don't forget Lily Guxinen. I would never forget <laughs> GQ style digital editor Lily Guxinen. I want to say something else about the John Curran cover though, because say it. This is your opportunity. Um, it was awesome. It looks super classic, but I think it's just a good time to remember, like, if you're going to make something in print and put it out there in the world, it's got to be special. Yeah. It's got to be good. It's got to go above and beyond. It's got to upend, you know, expectations or offer something just like a little bit more, a little bit better, because otherwise, why bother? I hope that is the those are the morning marching orders for GQ Style, which yeah. is like, if we're going to do four of these a year and we're going to... Um, we're going to break our brains doing it. Yep. Try to make sure it's something different, something special, and something that you need in a time where we all got the internet coming at us fast yep. on the phone. Yeah. Uh, it's funny. People were hitting me up the day that the John Curran Vogue cover came out. Like, man, you should do a painting on the cover Yeah. of GQ style. Yeah. I felt like I felt like it's the reason that was so cool is because it's Vogue and it's unexpected. And it was like... Also, a throwback to their history. Didn't you tell me that Salvador Dali did the last painted yeah, Vogue cover? That's right. I read that. So I would say, don't hold your breath for GQ style. <laughs> if anybody's holding their breath about GQ style covers, don't hold it for a painted one. But I would say, um, artists, feel free to submit um, paintings on spec for us to consider. Yeah. We love some fan art. We're also super into Instagram art. Yeah. Uh, I think Kendrick, of, our, of the GQ style covers, I think Kendrick got the most Instagram art. Yeah. That's I so feel like cool. this should be a running competition. That's super cool when that happens. Uh, there was another story in the that 125th anniversary issue of Vogue that you sent to me, which was the Supreme piece. Yeah, what Vogue. Did, Vogue. You, you're, you're, Noah Johnson is a, skates yeah. and, and is aware of things like Supreme. So 
How, how did you feel about that piece? It's true. Um, you know, they got the elusive James Jebby interview. That's like the golden mark. I mean, Supreme has been written about uh, considerably, probably too much, um, f- you know, for what it is because it, uh, not much has changed um, in the many years that Supreme has been in business other than it just growing and continuing to make people insane. Um either with, you know, lust for their product or just <laughs> anger and hatred for like the people who wear it, which Which is awesome. You're doing something right if you yeah. can if if you can make t shirts and skate decks yeah. p- piss people off. Say what you will about a box logo, but like what they've done has been incredible and it's so much fun to watch. Yeah. So Vogue got the piece, um uh which is super cool. And there's a bunch of interesting stuff in there. Not a whole lot of like totally new light shined on what we all know and think about Supreme, but some access to Jebia and he he always kind of he sticks to his guns and he always says things like you know he didn't he doesn't set out to to make the most sought after stuff in the world he doesn't they don't make things in limited quantities just to drive people nuts they do it because that's Are you what buying they can it? do a little bit I half buy it you know I think like yeah like he probably could have sold that brand and scaled up a few years ago and and tripled quadrupled his money you know like yeah. I do think there's a lot of integrity there and there's something to be said with that. We don't really know the numbers. We don't know what the company is worth or anything like that. But um, I also think he's created a persona, mostly for the brand, sort of a brand identity that he realizes is more valuable right. than anything. And he's got to stick to that and kind of keep the mythology of that intact. Which is interesting because what these pieces always feel a little bit like is, well, maybe they make some people feel like, I still don't know the, the secret formula behind yeah. behind supreme and the truth is there probably isn't one right i think that's probably right i think that if you really you know put him in a, on a lie detector test or something i don't know that he necessarily knows why it all happened the way it happened and you know there's luck getting a lot of a lot of the right people in the room together and just lightning strikes you know I, one of the cool things that comes in the out of the story though is that um gucci comes up for whatever reason as just kind of another brand of the moment that feels like they've they're completely dominating their like segment. And it, Jebia kind of gives Alessandro Michele and Gucci props for what yeah, they're building, right? Pretty big cosign yeah. from Jebia. And and on the level of like, you know, Jebia says something about about the fact that Gucci's really making stuff that the kids really want on their level. You know, hoodies with logos and stuff. And sure they're nine hundred dollars, but that's besides the point. Right. Um the- kids want them and are finding we'll always find ways to get them yeah and so it sounds like jebbia really identifies with what gucci's doing on that level and it's just uh it was really interesting to see him considering both and weighing the two brands and have them mentioned in the same way like that in the pages of vogue you know? yeah i thought it was cool too it was an interesting context for it i mean one thing that the gucci comments made me think about is the reason that I have so much respect for Alessandro Michele and Gucci is that I feel like uh, in a world where does, we're, we're always hearing about how much pressure there is on designers to create more and more collections and they got to do spring, fall, cruise, resort campaigns. There's always more and more and more and more, more being demanded from them. What and, and you can like almost feel some of them having aneurysms trying to like think of something new over and over and over again. Right. Alessandro has done something which is much harder to create but once you've created it much easier to make it through that very challenging and high pressure role which is he's created this 360 degree world that is completely his vision and the way i kind of think of it is that 
for every time there's a new season or a new campaign, instead of uh, him having to have a new idea, he just kind of wanders over to a, a new corner of the world that he's already made and just sort of like grabs some of that and, and floats it out there. And I just feel like that brings consistency from season to season. I mean, this is like, to me, that's the mark of a designer who's also like a real artist yeah. and, and really tapped in in a bigger way. And I think that's why Gucci is having the success they're having. I also think that even though the aesthetics of it are extremely different, that is the, if there is a magic formula of Supreme, that's what it is. Yeah. Like every time they come up with a new campaign or a new drop, they haven't had to like reinvent Supreme. Yeah. It's like whether it's, you know, John Coltrane or George Kondo or uh, Kermit the Frog. Yeah, or or a new collaboration, Kermit the Frog, Kate Moss. It's all of their world and they present things aesthetically in, a, in a, an aesthetically consistent way, but you just feel like this is just an, another download yeah from the like central brain, not like Oh, they they hired some hot new young design talent and he killed it this season. And yeah, they, and they might brick it next season. Yeah, yeah. I think consistency and full commitment are both just super appealing. And some sort of like brand version of self awareness. Yeah, like in yeah. a way that a person can be self aware and really like fully embodied, yeah. like into their bones. And then still have those cards like Gucci's fall campaign, which is super cool. Um, plays off of like 1950s and 60s, I think, sci-fi genre movie um, motifs, including I think some of the ads were shot in like on actual Star Trek sets. Right, and like Creature from the Black Lagoon or yeah. something. I'm not gonna lie and say I've seen that movie. No, I'm not. My I wish my classic movie campy sci-fi yeah, chops were better. But it's it, it did feel like exactly what you're saying, which is. Michele, Alessandro Michele just kind of um, uncovered a, a part of the Gucci universe that was like almost the, already there somehow or it fits in perfectly with what we've already seen and with aesthetics he's already worked with. But it's also like feels totally new and unlike well, what he's done. It's like you never would have thought about it before, but you're like, of course, there's UFOs near the Gucci garden. <laughs> yeah. Like, obviously. Yeah. And like a swamp thing. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, yeah. Those those are those are two people who have really who really have it all the way dialed, and yeah. um, I think something to uh, aspire to for any of us making anything, including you know us making GQ style. Magazine. But I just want to say, Sam Hine, I don't want to see you coming in here with a Supreme box logo hoodie and your Gucci snake embroidered loafers on um, at the same time. <laughs> you hype beast. <laughs> just kidding, Sam would never do that. But I don't think Sam Mobilaji, Lily, me. I don't. You're the you're the only one who credibly brings supreme into the gq style headquarters <laughs> thanks for that credibly <laughs> yeah you do i think you do it credibly i think you're the only one who does it and you do it with with credibility and panache i'm not embarrassed to say that i like i still like a lot of what supreme does and i will spend some money there every season holler hey at me uh should we get into the pod closing lightning round all right 13 vibes mm -hmm. and you know gq style we deal in ideas we deal in art we deal in stuff we deal in fashions and the idea is just to talk about what we're feeling um right now without hesitation or too much thought okay let's go number 13 noah johnson um speaking of of collections that our legacies fall collection is really fucking good and it's 
rolling out right now, and I just made it order an unhealthy order for myself. You heated up the plastic? Yeah. What um, do you got coming? Give like me the highlights. Some like super furry plaid mohair cardigan and some crazy trousers with like piping down the seams and this insane pair of sneakers with like a three inch Vibram sole. It's a lot of weird stuff, but it'll, it's, you know. They they bring uh, some unique fabrics and textures to the, to the fore. Yeah. Uh, for number 12, I'm going with Barbasol. Heck yeah. The original shaving cream. Um, after many years of wearing a beard, I have been using a razor blade on my face. And, um, after cycling through various, uh, third wave shaving products, (laughs) artisanal, or as Noah Johnson would say, artisanal, I'm back to the classic, the beard buster Barbasol. Speaking of classics, number 11, 11 Aperol Spritz. Shout out to Aziz because there's an amazing photo of him in, in the fall issue GQ style shirtless middle finger up spritz in hand. It was a spontaneous mo- moment on set, and it was beautiful. Yeah, my summer uh, summarized in one photo. So, how far into the like, how far will you stretch Aperol season? Like, can you? <laughs> That's a good w- question. Do you wear white pants and Aperol spritzes after <laughs> Labor Day? <laughs> no, the Aperols get hung up before the white pants. I think it just feels weird in September to have Aperol spritz. Yeah, the leaves can't be changing. I agree. Number ten, my uh, way of relaxing after work these days <laughs> is not the television. It is the eBay app. Hell yeah. I just like to sit on that thing and troll and like watch the hours melt away. Aziz Asari would, n- I'm sorry, would not approve <laughs> of the amount of time I spend just thumbing eBay. I mean, it's a, it's a, I, it's funny you think it's relaxing because I kind of, I get like a little wound tight about it. <laughs> All the strategy and the discovery and the like going in deep and like, is it authentic? And do I buy it now or <laughs> do I place a bid and am I going to care in four days? Am I even going to remember in four days? Yeah, I'm with you though. That's, um, the next one is number nine. I'm going to go Etsy. Wow, dude. <laughs> Handmade, vintage. Clap back. No, but specifically I went to an Etsy rug hole. Etsy's <laughs> got an amazing rug selection and I- became obsessed with these weird like abstract design Berber rugs from Morocco and there's this guy or this this company on Etsy called Benny Urain Carpets and I recommend you get on he's got thousands of rugs for sale on Is Etsy. Is he cutting you checks, man? No, but well, maybe. Benny, shout out to Benny, friend of the pod, but See, I <laughs> <laughs> I would not um I would not buy a rug that I had not seen with my own two eyes. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the difference between me and you. All right. Uh, another another uh, new internet discovery for me is the Stretch Armstrong and Bobito Garcia show. Uh, they have a new podcast. It's like what's up with Stretch and Bobito <laughs> or something. But man, those guys are legends. They um, they had the definitive hip hop show in the uh, 80s and early 90s or the 80s and 90s on WKCR FM here in New York City, where a lot of um, you know the icons of hip hop were on the air freestyling for the first time. Um, they stepped away from it for years. There was a pretty good documentary about them, and now they've come back in podcast form. And the first couple, they're just a few episodes in, but it was like, it's been Dave Chappelle, Chance the Rapper. My first real venturing into the land of Eddie Huang. Did I say that right? I think so. Eddie Huang. Sam studied Chinese. Yeah, no, it's true. It's just, it's an awesome pod. So from pod to pod, respect. Respect. My love for comfort shoes is is publicly known, widely criticized. Uh, it's quite controversial. <laughs> widely criticized. Uh, but I stick to it. And, you know, you can't wear Crocs into the fall, so I'm going to up my comfort shoot game and get a pair of Mephistos, which I've never owned. And a bunch of, like, English lads are going to, 
like roast me for this probably because they've been up on it for a while. But Mephistos are like these really cool old man walking shoes. The best one's called the Rainbow. And um, I can't even describe them. They look like hiking sneakers or something. They're like pretty geriatric, like foot health looking. But they got these suede ones coming out for fall. (laughs) And like an orange and a cool gray, and I might get like four pairs. I'm glad we started this pod because I guess you're going to be giving away some of your uh, <laughs> up-and-coming secrets. I know. This is bad. Uh, number six, keeping in the Garm district, I am uh, I'm really into Massimo Alba shirts. The stuff is uh, – the, the reason I love Massimo Alba is it's like Italian tailoring gone like pretty stoned. <laughs> and that's just my vibe. I'm going to go with one that's been the vibe all summer long – this is going to sound so lame, but I'm going to go with The Grateful Dead. The Grateful Because I Dead. just started listening to Grateful Dead like at the beginning of the summer when that Cornell 77, their supposedly best show ever, was re-released. And I just listened to it heavy all summer long. But really, this is Will Welch territory, and I'm like in way over my head. Dude, some, if anybody that – I'm just going to – all I'm going to say is this. If anybody gives you shit, especially any deadhead gives you shit for listening to The Grateful Dead, <laughs> they're not a real deadhead. <laughs> In the Grateful Dead universe, one of the be- most beautiful things about the Grateful Dead universe is there's no such thing as a kook. All are welcome. There's no posers? All the time. Wow, that's refreshing. All are welcome all the time. I come from many worlds with the opposite uh, perspective. Um, I'm going in a really different direction from the Grateful Dead. I'm really into uh, Olivier Roosting and Balmain. Heck yeah. So Aziz is wearing Balmain on the cover of the fall issue of GQ Style, and then we also shot... There's a portfolio that we shot at Paris Fashion Week, and we shot Olivier for it. And um, there was this moment while we were taking his portrait where um, somebody on set said the word natural, and he w- we were at the Balmain Atelier, and he was like, we, this is one word that we do not allow at Balmain. <laughs> natural. Um, and that was like a, a, a holy shit moment for me because I feel like we live in a world that celebrates right now like the organic the authentic the artisanal and even fashion has gone that way where it's all about like you know authenticity and what subculture does it come from and do you have the credibility to wear it and and all that kind of shit and what Olivier is like holding down almost by himself and menswear a uh, sort of now antiquated very French notion of fashion as um uh the glorious imagination yeah and it's it's almost like why would you want natural why would you want real when there's fashion yeah and so for him it's all about a vision and escape and fantasy yeah that's the word i was looking for it's fashion that's fantasy and he's really holding that down and i think um it's so out of step with the times right now that it's like fucking cool yeah i'm so glad aziz is wearing this amazing Balmain jacket on the cover it's just fucking looks cool and fresh and not and expensive it looks expensive where are you taking us noah johnson the cactus shop lay cactus this is very on brand for you this is like one of my safe places this is a real haven they open a cactus shop has been open in echo park for a while and it's kind of this hippy dippy arty little boutique that really just sells a lot of cactus rare specimen cactus and they opened a temporary spot in new york um, it's in, temporary in the Lower east side yeah I think it's not going away we'll see yeah they, it, the people of New York need cacti, man. It's good. You should go see what it's all about. I'm like so on board with this place. And um, it's on Essex Street in the Lower East Side. I'm happy to have them here. I've purchased a few new friends there that are happily it's, living it's in a my pr- home. It's a pretty third wave cactus operation, right? Can't you get some merch? Heavy, heavy. Like yeah. collaborative cactus They've got merch? amazing t-shirts. Um, 
I mean, they did this really good collaboration this summer with Dr. Romanelli, who's like an artist and garment maker and Deadhead. Guess. Yeah, he's a big heavy deadhead. Yeah. And um Guess, the brand, Guess, did um some shirts with them that are like these amazing rayon shirts and I got one that has these like ink ink um printed like cactus shapes all over it. It's really fucking trippy and awesome. Number two. Um, so speaking of credibility and lack thereof, I, for the first time ever in public, am wearing Vans sneakers today. Hell yeah. Let's go. They're uh, Aleek's Vans. And I've felt like a bit of a, a crisis of conscience of like, I've ne- I actually, I'm six foot six and not good at balance. I've never been on a skateboard in my entire life. Would never claim otherwise. And so I thought like, can I wear Vans? Yeah. Um, but, you know, I'm just going to do it. I'm going for it, and I I feel good. Feels good? Yeah. And the Elix ones are, are pretty dope. Yeah, they look good. Bring it home, Noah. I'm going to bring it home, and um, I'm sorry if this is disappointing, but this is the first episode of the podcast, so that's the last vibe for today is this podcast, which we're launching now. I thought you were going to go with Billy Ray on shirts. <laughs> The last vibe is not Billy Ray on shirts that Noah Johnson's been wearing <laughs> all summer long. It is the podcast itself. Yeah, that you're listening to, that we just did. So that's it. All right, guys, that is episode one of the GQ Style podcast. Uh, go check out our far, far-flung fall fashion issue with Aziz Ansari on the cover. You can go to subscribe.gqstyle.com or to any newsstand worth its damn salt. Um and or hit us up on social media next pod coming at you soon bye peace out Jeez. 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 Jeez.